good. Jesus is the one, amen? Aren't you glad about that? I'm glad it doesn't depend on me, that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, tonight I wanted to talk to you again. Uh, we're dealing with family and relationships and those things on Sunday nights. And tonight we want to talk about four great needs in a child's life. And of course, <clears throat> a, child, a child's needs are varied. There's no doubt about that. A number of needs. And as parents, of course, we are ever bombarded by the media by government, the school system, advertisers, medical professionals, and even our own families at times with all the needs our child supposedly has. <clears throat> Everybody letting us know how needy they are. And, you know, everyone has an opinion as to what our child needs. Everybody does. Some are valid, some aren't. The truth is that there are a mountain of needs in your child's life. But tonight I want to share what are probably their four greatest needs. Their greatest needs aren't the latest telephone, shoe, or gaming system. That's definitely not their greatest need. Their greatest need isn't a room of their own or a personal laptop. Um, 
Their greatest need isn't isn't even uh, the best secular education they can possibly get or a good running car. As nice as those things are, and in some cases, they can become sadly stumbling blocks, though. And this evening, I just want to take a few moments and consider the four greatest needs in a child's life. And you may disagree, but these are the four that I look at and see and believe that are probably, if not the greatest, they're definitely up there, that's for sure. And so let me take just a few moments and share those with you tonight. And I hope they'll be a help to you. Listen, I, again, I began talking to you last week about some things, and I think we need to be very honest with ourselves about the direction we're going and how things are, how things are turning out in our homes and families across America. Not only America, but the, 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 the church. My, oh, my. We, we really need to assess and, and reflect on what's going on and why things are the way they are. And so let's go ahead and, and really search our hearts and let's consider these issues tonight. And I hope that, uh, I hope that every one of these is in your life. And, and maybe to some degree or another, uh, there may be a need for a little more of this and a little more of that or a little less of this and a little less of that. But I hope these four elements are there. And I, I think probably they will be to some degree, if not everywhere. Though, but these ones, it's not quite as bad as last week. You know, we'll, we'll take it easy on you, okay? but uh, the four greatest needs in a child's life. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. <clears throat> Thank you again for the opportunity that we have to uh, gather tonight. Speak to our hearts through this uh, simple message or lesson, whatever you want to call it. Lord, either way, it needs to come from you and your word. And so, Lord, we're asking, Father, you'd speak to us and help us. Now, Lord, bless the families that are represented here. And, Lord, each and every one of us, <clears throat> whether we are currently raising our own children or whether we are grandparents looking forward uh, or looking forward to being grandparents, Father, we must realize that there's a great responsibility on our shoulders to uh, either raise our children as you would have us or to help our children uh, raise children properly and be a blessing and a help to them. So, Lord, do your work in our lives. We need you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. It's amazing. Every time I pray in the pulpit lately, it seems I have an epiphany, and I see as though I entered heaven, and lights just seem to f- click on. It's amazing. I bow my head, close my eyes, and the next thing I know, light hits me. <laughs> I don't know if it has anything to do with those ones right there that keep popping on right when I pray or not, but <clears throat> it just seems I get closer to heaven when I start praying here in the pulpit. But nonetheless, first of all, affection. Affection. One of the greatest needs in a child's life is affection. There is, and and I'm going to say something that I'm sure will be considered controversial by some, but that's okay. There's little doubt that both mom and dad need to demonstrate and express affection. No doubt about that. But seeing that biblically, dad is the the God-given provider for the home, and mom is the God-given nurturer, mom will shoulder much of this burden. Now, again, that doesn't sit well in our culture. We have so vehemently tried to make men women. We have worked so hard at obliterating the gender differences. I mean, why in the world do you think we're having problems with homosexuality, lesbianism, and transgender stuff? 
because we have been working over the last 60, 70 years, even almost into the 30s last, the 1930s, to totally and completely do away with the distinction between men and women. Now, when you start saying things like, women and men, there's no difference between men and women, you have bought in to the lies of Satan. There are differences, whether you want to admit it or not, they are there. And biblically and scripturally, they are written. They're right before our eyes. When it comes to this aspect of nurturing, a mom is created to nurture. A dad, yes, ought to have compassion and concern and love for his children. But there is a difference between a mom and a dad. Years ago, when you saw a football player on TV interviewed, he'd say, Hi, Mom. Why is that changing? I'll tell you why. Because women are no longer being nurturers. They're being providers. Right. And men are being told that they don't have to be providers. They can just simply be nurturers. But I promise you this. You don't have to agree with me. Read your Bible, though, please. I agree with you this, that God made a woman to nurture. He made a man to provide. And there ought to be a difference there. It doesn't, again, it doesn't mean that dad can't nurture at times. He does have to be compassionate and tender at times. But that's not where God intended that to come primarily. Dad should come along to help. But mom is really going to shoulder the burden here if it is a biblical home. Now, again, that's, that's a big one these years, in the days in, in which we live, I should say. So what are we saying when we start talking about affection? We're talking about being passionate about our children and for our children, for sure. They need to be convinced that we both love them and care about them. That's an important aspect of raising children or having children. You know, our Heavenly Father, it's interesting as we note Him, and He cares for us, the Bible says. And as a result, we can feel free to cast our cares upon Him. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, turn there if you would, please. And, and this is important because <clears throat> many times people do not feel loved by God. But there comes a point where we have to allow our faith to step in and allow our faith to affect our feelings instead of our feelings affect our faith. And in this case, the Bible simply says in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. The Bible's very clear that God cares for you. Now, listen, there are times when you're going through a tough time that you may wonder whether God really cares a lot about you. But you cannot allow your feelings to determine your faith. You have to let your faith determine your feelings. And in this case, he says, listen, you can cast your cares on me because I care for you. And, you know, as a parent, we need to understand that that's how God uh, uh, takes care of us. That's how he deals with us. So, therefore, we need to care for our children. And caring is an element of affection, showing that concern and showing that care. The love that we extend to our children has to be unconditional. And and that's that's a tough one. In our day and age, we're being told that that unconditional love is required by all people, of course, toward all situations and any given circumstance. 
What I mean by that is, is that we have to not only embrace or love unconditionally a person, now we are being told you have to love unconditionally their lifestyle, you have to love unconditionally their way, you have to love unconditionally their opinion, you have to love unconditionally their actions or outbursts or attitudes. That's not scriptural. That w- because I don't agree with my child doesn't mean that I don't love them unconditionally. Because I don't support them in their activity or support them in their actions doesn't mean I don't love them unconditionally. And, and today, we've got that mixed up. That's kind of, you know, look, these, those uh, signals have been crossed quite a bit. But we do need to love unconditionally. I, I mean, think about it. John 3.16 again, for God so loved the world. Why would God love the world? There's not one reason why he would love fallen man. And yet, he does. You say, well, he created us. Yeah, I understand that. But think about what we ultimately did to him. But he loves us anyway. He just loves us because. That's unconditional love. Now, does he always embrace what we do? Does he always agree with our lifestyle and our attitudes, our actions? Absolutely not. But does he love us unconditionally? Yes. Affection is something that a child needs. We need to love them, yes. We need to show care and concern. But we need to show that love and love unconditional. Um, D.L. Moody, he tells a story uh, of when the California gold, uh, gold rush broke out. And um, there was a man who went there. He left his family. He left his children there in, in New England. Um, actually, he left his wife and child, really, boy. And uh, he ended up over there, and he became successful. He struck it rich. He, he, he started running into some gold, and that was exciting. And it was a, a long time, of course, before he had succeeded, however. And the moment he got that money, the moment it started rolling in, he sent for both his wife and his son. Man, his wife was so elated. She was so happy. She took her boy to New York. She got on board a Pacific steamer and she sailed away to San Francisco. Well, while they were on their journey, not long into it, they heard the cry fire. A fire had started and a fire began to rage and unfortunately it grew and it grew and it grew. And in those days they had what was called a a powder magazine on board and basically it was they, they, they carried this um, gunpowder there on the ship and, 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 and it would ignite. It would ultimately create a problem. It would kill everybody on the, the ship eventually. And so they got the lifeboats out. They were frantic. They went crazy. They're getting all the lifeboats into the water, but those lifeboats just were too small. And those things began to fill up so quickly. They were overcrowded already. By the time the woman got her son gathered up, got over there to the, 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 the side of the ship, the lifeboats had already began to sail. There was only one in the, at, at the bottom, and she cried out, Please let me, let us come. Please let us get on the lifeboat. Please let us get off the ship. They said, We can't. We're already full. We don't have any more room. She pleaded, and she begged, and she begged, and she begged until finally. They said, We have room for maybe one more. Well, what do you think? Do you think she jumped on that lifeboat? Of course she didn't jump on the lifeboat. She took her son up in her arms and she gave him one last hug. She kissed him on the cheek and she began to lower him down. And she got down onto that little, that little lifeboat and sunk in there. She said, my boy, if you live to see your father, tell him that I died in your place. 
And she did. That's a mother's love, isn't it? That's also the kind of love that God had for you and I, isn't it? And you know, our children need the kind of affection that is consistent, constant. And yes, although we cannot embrace every attitude and action, although we cannot agree with every direction they're going, they do need to know they're loved and cared for. And especially when they're young. Mom, it's important that when little Junior comes running home from school and his little heart's been broken, it's important that Mom comes along and wraps her arms around him and says, it'll be all right. It'll be okay. Let's, uh, let's go get a cookie. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, there's just nothing that can replace that. I still remember things happening in my life, and I still remember sitting on the bed with my mama and her saying, Mark, it'll be okay. Them boys, they, they just, that's how little boys are. They just pick, you know, and it'll be all right. And I was just hoping she'd say, I'll make you grilled cheese or something, you know. <clears throat> but let me say this. I also had a good talk with my dad once. And I don't share this a lot. But I remember that I was homesick for two weeks in a row. Two solid weeks. I was sick. Actually, I was probably sick for about a week and a day. But I got to where every morning when I woke up, I felt sick. My mom wouldn't let me play. My mom wouldn't let me do anything. I had to literally sit on the couch. I still remember her ironing. And I remember watching the, 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 the um, <clears throat> Bob Barker in the, 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 the Price is Right. I really wanted to see how that was going to turn out every day so I didn't go back to school. But honestly, for two weeks, for two weeks, I stayed home. And what it was before it was over with, I remember going back to school and I, I got sick. When I got left at school, I had to come back. My stomach was hurt and I was sick. You know, you know how it goes. You get your stomachs all upset and next thing you think, well, you got the flu or you got this. Ah, it was nerves. You know what was happening? I got to the point where I was afraid my mom was going to die. I was afraid if I wasn't at home, she would die. I'd go home, she wouldn't be there. You say, that's the craziest, stupid thing you ever... How could you ever come up with that? I have no idea. But finally, my dad took me into the bedroom. He sat me on the bed. And he got to talking to me. And he said, Mark, I want you to know there's nobody in this world loves your mom anymore than me. And every day I go off to work, and I'm afraid for her and you guys but I got to go to work. And, I, and honestly, the tears came out of his eyes. I'd never seen my dad cry. I'd never seen my dad cry. And I knew he was telling me the truth. And man, his heart was broken. And I thought if dad can suck it up, I can too. I went back to school the next day and never looked back. Affection, concern, care, love, compassion. It makes a difference. And it is a need in a child's life. Number two, direction. Not only, not only do we see this aspect of affection, but direction as well. Again, a child needs direction in his or her life. And although there will be many who will influence and impact a child's life, there's no one that's going to 
impact or be more responsible, I should say, in impacting the lives of our children than us. It ought to be mom and dad. It's important. Now, in some cases, unfortunately, we're in a situation where maybe there's not a dad on the scene or there's not a mom on the scene. And boy, I'll tell you what, that's a, that's a lot of responsibility for someone to have to bear on their own. I, I can't hardly imagine. I do believe God can give grace, supernatural grace, to meet those needs and to provide and to care for their children. But boy, that's a tough pill to swallow. But a mom or dad or both will be the one who primarily and who hopefully will have the greatest influence in the direction of their children, especially early on in their life. Obviously, as they get older, unfortunately, it seems that friends do. It seems that others on the outside have a tendency to kind of latch on and they wanting to please them and wanting to fit in can be very tempted to go that direction. But in 2 Timothy, if you would, please turn to chapter 3, verse 14 through 15. You need to understand, as we're talking about these children now, we're looking at children, especially younger children. And as a parent, you are responsible to provide them with direction. That's probably one of the greatest needs in their life, direction. <clears throat> Notice what it says in 2 Timothy three fourteen and 15. The Apostle Paul, again, speaking... And he's referring to Timothy, talking about Timothy. But continue thou, he says to Timothy, in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Notice it's from a child. Mom, in this particular case, we're going to note even later that grandma is even involved in this process of instilling these truths in the lives of this child, Timothy. It says in verse, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and am persuaded that in thee also. So here's a mom whose husband obviously wasn't as influential spiritually Mom and grandma made the difference in the life of this young man and set the course and direction of his life. That started as a child. We don't wait to do that when they're 9 or 10 or 12 or 14. We start that from the time they exit the womb, in a sense. We begin the process of setting direction. That's why it's important, and that's why early on, my boys wore ties and they wore pants to church. They're going to they're gonna wear what daddy wears because I'm setting their direction. I want them to know this is what we do. This is how we do it. That's why my daughters early on began to wear dresses to church, not stuff that other people wear. Why? Because I want them to know this is what we do. This is how we dress. This is what, how we approach the house of God. If it's good enough for mom, it's good enough for the daughters. If it's good enough for dad, it's good enough for the boys. What they do on their own down the road is their business. But we're going to set the course and we're going to put them on a direction and a course for, for what I would call success in their life. So Bible reading was important in our home. Devotions were important in our home. We're setting direction. We're saying, listen, yes, education is good, but Bible education is better. It's important that we put Christ first. Yes, sports are good, but they don't take the place of church. 
We made sure that we set direction in their life. And as a parent, a child needs direction. There's no doubt that, that a child, in this case Timothy, was clearly influenced by his mother and his grandmother. There's no doubt spiritually they made the difference. It's, it's difficult to watch a, a, a either a single mom or a, especially a mom whose husband is not saved and does not have the same desire and the same standard and the same concept of God. It's hard for them to continue to drive home that direction and continue to set the course. But it is possible. We see evidence of it in the Word of God, and I have seen evidence of it in this church and ministry as well. Parents have to provide their children with the many tools they need to succeed in life. And, of course, one of those valuable tools is direction. I mean, the direction we're going ultimately determines the destination we end up at, right? Don't remain silent on issues, parents. Voice your opinions, your concerns, your viewpoints. Make them clear. Make them clear. Let me give you an example. If you don't think what Colin Kaepernick is doing by sitting down during the national anthem, if you don't think that's right, your children need to know you don't think that's right. You need to be very clear on that. And if you say, well, yeah, but today, I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to. You must give them direction. If you think what he's doing is right, then you give them direction. But you, as a parent, must give direction. You will be responsible for the direction that they go. One way or the other, you're held responsible by God. You might as well express your feelings, your opinions, and, your, and hopefully they're rooted and grounded in the Word of God, I trust. Amen. Hold the Word of God up high. Don't fear looking old-fashioned or out of date with your kids. Stand firm on moral and ethical issues. Don't back down. Don't, don't fall into the trap. I've, I've dealt with a lot of people through the years, and let me, let me tell you how this works with, like, a lot of times when I deal with older people that have gone to churches that have gone liberal, they'll say things, they almost feel guilty for, for wanting what they used to have because they feel like their feelings are outdated or antiquated or old-fashioned. They feel like, you know, well, maybe we just have to get with the times. The young people don't want to hear old-fashioned preaching and they don't want all those old-fashioned standards and they don't want... And so they're almost afraid to have the feelings they have because they feel like maybe they are just have grown past their usefulness or somehow their opinion doesn't matter and maybe they just don't get it anymore. No, they've got it. They got it real well. And really, if anything, the younger Christians need to hear what they have to say. And the truth is, is that our children need to hear what we believe as parents because I trust our feelings, again, are rooted in the Word of God and our perspective is in the Word of God and our morals are rooted in the Word of God, our ethics are in the Word of God, our character is rooted in the Word of God, and they need to know where we stand. Give them direction. It's important to tell our children which way to go, but even more important, to show them. Now, you want to talk about giving direction to your kids. The biggest part of giving direction is giving them an example to follow. 
We have a good example of this in, in Solomon's mom. I mean, look at Proverbs chapter 31, verse 1. What a great woman this Proverbs 31 woman is. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 1, the Bible says, The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. But see, as you go through chapter 31, you realize very quickly that it's not just the words of a mother, it's the works of a mother. I mean, this woman was doing the right things, not just saying the right things. And the fact is, is that today it's easy to say the right things. It's much more difficult to do the right things. It's always been that way. Always. I believe that she possessed a tenderness that facilitated communication even. I believe that she allowed herself to be approachable. And you know, it's true with us as dads and moms. There's no doubt our children must feel free to approach us and discuss the most controversial subjects and issues. That's right. yes, sir. Let me say this, however. This idea of, I can tell my mom and dad anything and they're okay with it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I don't know that there's, there's something unhealthy about a parent that says everything's okay. And your child can come to you and just act flippantly about, well, I can talk to my mom. I could tell her that I did this or did that. She wouldn't even care. She's okay. She's open. She's with it. She's cool. Uh, there's something wrong with that. Yes, See, I found out a long time ago that I'm not my child's friend. I'm my child's parent. Now, they need to understand that, that I'm there for them, and they need to understand that I am concerned about them and that I have a compassion for them and a desire for them. And without a doubt, they need to feel free to talk to me. But I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, a child that is going off on their own is not going to feel free to talk to a dad or a mom that they know is going to say wrong direction. I, I, don't, I wouldn't be so surprised. I, I go a little weary with the world who wants to look at a parent who sets a little bit of standards in their life and, and on their children and then says, well, if only your daughter could have talked to you, if only your daughter would have spoken to you, what, about sleeping with boys before she's married when she knows it's wrong? Well, what am I supposed to do? Oh, good, honey, I'm so glad. Let me give you contraceptives. Is that what I'm supposed to do? That's what the world says I'm supposed to do. And you know what that happens to us now in this room? You as parents with children in, in Christian homes, you feel somehow that you have to measure up to the world standard. That somehow you're a bad parent because your child can't talk to you about anything they want. Well, let me tell you something. My kids knew where I stood on issues. Because why? We discussed it openly. I gave them direction. I knew where my parents stood on things. And I'll be honest with you, there are a few times I didn't want to talk to them. And I wasn't going to talk to them because I knew what I was going to hear. Oh, they loved me. I had no doubt of that. They cared about me and unconditional. I knew they'd still accept me, but they weren't going to accept what I was doing. So I thought, what's the point of talking to them? They're just going to tell me to shut it down. Now, listen, you can't control that. 
What, you're supposed to just accept everything? Well, that's all right. I know you're going to be with your girlfriend or boyfriend, so you might as well just move into daddy and mom's house because I don't want to lose you. Is that what we do now? We just throw the Bible out the window. We just go ahead and get rid of our morals and our ethics just to keep our children happy and just to keep open lines of communication. Sorry, that doesn't work that way. Now, again, understand that if we're raising our children with affection and we're raising them with some direction, you're going to probably avoid a lot of those kind of horrible situations. You put some standards in their life early on and you hold to it and you live it. Don't just talk about it you will hopefully avoid some of the most difficult circumstances. However, there's no guarantees. Abraham Lincoln was well known for total abstinence from alcohol. He didn't drink at all. According to one well-known story, he was offered a drink by a colonel in in the military. Lincoln told him that when his mother was on her deathbed, she had called for him, and at just nine years of age, she asked him to promise that he would never take a drink. Someone say, well, that's a, that's a tall order for a little nine-year-old. I can't believe she put that kind of pressure on him. Hmm. Well, let's see how it turned out. He said, I promised my mother that I would never take a drink. And up to this hour, I've kept that promise. Would you advise me to break that promise? The colonel said, no, Mr. Lincoln. (laughs) I wouldn't have you do it for the world. It was one of the best promises you ever made. I'd give you $1,000 today if I hadn't made my mother a promise like that and had kept it as you have done. Boy, if only the colonel's mother had given her son the same direction that Lincoln's had given him. And that been nice? Do you know it's okay to tell your kids it's wrong to drink? And that it's not acceptable in your home? Or in their life? Did you understand you're allowed to have those feelings and opinions? You're allowed to say it's wrong to do things with the opposite sex till you're married? Do you realize you're allowed to say those things? You're allowed to hold that ground? Do you realize it's okay to tell your children that it's, it's not right to be homosexual or lesbian or transgender, that that's not natural, that's not God, the way God created men and women? You, are you, you realize you're allowed to actually share those things with your kids and give them some direction so they're not getting it from the school system, from the media, from Hollywood, and from everybody else that has an opinion about how your children ought to think and feel? You better give them some direction. They need it. And they need it bad. Real bad. Quickly, let me just run through these real fast. Number three, correction. Correction. You know, every one of us has fallen victim to the unrestrained child at the restaurant. (laughs) And I say victim. The parent is constantly trying to reason with the child and convince them to do what they ought to do. And all the while, little Junior makes his wishes known in no uncertain terms by crying and pouting and screaming and even flailing around. The best ones are the ones that get up and walk around and crawl under the table and over the table and everything. Those are the best. I mean, that's amazing. I just, 
I even sit in all of that. Come sit down. Come, come sit down. And they're walking around all over. Oh, she or he just won't ever listen to me. They, they just can't sit. I don't know what it is. They're just really strong-willed kids. Walking around the whole place. Bothering and looking at you while you're eating. They make for great entertainment at times, but very mostly, let's be honest, it is a nuisance to us. Uh, we walked into a restaurant the other day, me and my wife and Caleb, and we went to Steak and Shake, and we had all those. You know how you get those coupons, Steak and Shake? Man, you can eat there for nothing if you play your cards right. <clears throat> That's the best. And we got in there, and as soon as we walked in, Caleb went, oh, great, some of those. And I went, what? And he was looking at a fair. He, he used to wait tables over here at one of the restaurants, and he knew what we were in for. And, you know, that's how we are sometimes. We look around and go, oh, great, here we go again. You know, <clears throat> these attacks on sanity and serenity have affected all of us, haven't they? The real reason for all the confusion and the conflict there's either little or no correction or ineffective correction. Okay, and that, it's not saying that parents aren't trying to correct their children. They're just not doing it properly. Right. Maybe they, they possibly are ignorant even. They don't even know any better. The only sigh of relief that you and I have in a situation like that usually is that we don't have to go home with those children. And I have to share this, even though it really doesn't fit right now, but I wrote it, and I think it's really extremely good. These selfish marauders <laughs> have learned all too well that they simply need to create enough chaos and confusion in the store, grandma's house, or any public arena, and they will get their way sooner or later. Get this. These budding terrorists hold their parents hostage through fear. Fear that they'll throw a fit and embarrass mom or dad. I just had to share budding terrorists and selfish marauders. I thought that was a great. But we do. We, we, you know, they, they, they wreak fear in the hearts of parents, these children. And as a result, mom and dad are afraid to go anywhere. They're afraid to do anything with their children around. And so what we have today is, hey, listen, come straight home from work, honey, so I can go do the shopping. What? well, why don't you take the kids and go shopping before I get home so we can spend some time as a family together? Oh, well, you don't realize how tough it is here. Somebody's not effectively correcting their children. See, you should better take your children anywhere. I still remember going to the hospital with my kids and my wife, and we would make a visit, and we'd go into the waiting room and set our children on a seat and say, stay, don't move. Walk away, mommy and daddy will be back in a moment. We'd go make a visit or two and come back, and they'd all be sitting on that seat. I don't know if they were sitting while we were gone, but when we got back, they were seated. Now listen, somebody says, well, I wouldn't do that today, and probably I wouldn't do that today either. It's, you know, you just can't trust anybody anymore. But I remember many a time when we walk around the corner, because sometimes we'd have them stay where the, the folks are, you know, for uh, having babies or something. And we'd say, hey, uh, 
our children are sitting right over there. I'm a pastor, my wife. We have to make a visit on a lady, and we're not permitted to take our children because they're all too young. Can we, we're just going to leave them sit here. Can you just make sure nobody grabs them? Well, okay. They will sit, and they will stay. Can you just make sure that no one takes them out of here? Yeah. It, was, it works. I'm telling you, you don't have to be a hostage to your children. They need correction. It will help them to become the men and women that they need to be. It will help them develop the character they need. It will help them to be able to say no to themselves. That's a good thing to learn as a child. Notice what the Bible says about correction. Turn to Proverbs 29, 15. The Bible says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. You know, there's been a few situations in maybe your life even where you feel that the punishment you received was way too harsh. And so the knee-jerk reaction is to go the opposite way and not give the discipline that's needed for fear that it will be called or labeled or felt like abuse. Listen, nobody in this room supports abuse. There's a lot of definitions on what that is, by the way. But nobody in this room would support abuse. But I can guarantee you as a child my butt felt like it had been abused a few times. <laughs> but let me tell you, if I would withheld that from my children, I am convinced to this day they would not be sitting in this room tonight. Amen. I, I'm just, I don't have any regrets carrying over the principle of the rod and correction. The Proverbs 13, 24 has a, has a profound statement. Look at this one. 1324. <clears throat> it's amazing that psychologists and sociologists and students of psychology coming out of our universities are so dead set against physical punishment or corporal punishment because it makes violent people. It seems that there's more violence among our young people than there is our older generation. Amen. I've got to wonder what's wrong here with that, that thing. Something's not right. I, my dad, I'm sure, knew what it was to get a whooping. I got a whooping. I think many of you got whoopings. And guess what? You, I don't think you abuse your kids, and I don't think that you're going around being bullies and beating people up. I just think somebody has an agenda. But nonetheless, look what it says in Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod spoileth his child. Is that what it says? He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Now listen, correction is a need in your child's life, a desperate need. 
If you love your child, correct them. And you know what? There, there might be a time, there could be a time and a place for the timeout corner. There could be. And there, there, there could be. I'm not saying there isn't. There could be a time, just go to your room. But I can tell you when they're really little and young, you're not going to reason with a child. You need to just correct them biblically. And as they get a little older, you'd be surprised how effective that still can be. If you, you ever have questions about how old your daughter or son ought to be before they're corrected, stop being corrected. You come talk to me instead of talking to your friends who tell you you shouldn't be spanking your kids at all. Come talk to your pastor and let's find out. Before we cry abuse, we need to consider our Heavenly Father and how He deals with us. Look what He says in Hebrews 12, 6. We'll let our kids play football, take lick after lick. We'll let our kids get involved in MMA. We'll let our kids play soccer and get hit in the head with balls all day long. We'll let our kids wrestle, get slammed to mats. And as soon as mom and dad takes out the rod and says, get across the couch because you have transgressed the rules of our home, and we spank them on the butt a couple of times, people want to yell abuse. That's amazing to me. How inconsistent is our culture? How hypocritical? Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Do you see chastening there? But then notice scourgeth. Well, that's a pretty severe form of correction. That's a physical form. Now, obviously, chastening is not abuse when it's administered the right way, then. God administers this to us. Therefore, it's not abuse. I'm sure God doesn't go around abusing His children. I I don't believe He does. I have no proof of that in the Bible nor in my life. And so, obviously, correction is important. It's needed. The Lord's licks are administered in love. And they're administered in love and hope that His children will benefit a lifetime from it. There's not a parent in this room that shouldn't correct or discipline in love. When you are angry, that is not the time to spank your children. We're not gonna, we don't need to even debate that, talk about it. If you're angry, just back off a while, cool down, and deal with it when you're ready to deal with it. Because every time we discipline our child or correct them, we should be doing it with the right motive and the right reason. And if we just be a little bit more careful sometimes and not allow our emotion to take over in that situation... We might be surprised that we could make this a lasting impression, but do it in the right way. So be careful. And by the way, there's not a parent in the room who hasn't disciplined a child properly. And there may be one or two of you, I don't know, you may be the exception, who hasn't done that in anger. Just ticked off and takes deals with it. It happens. It can happen doesn't make correction, discipline, or spanking even wrong. It just means we were wrong in when we and how we administered it. That's all. But it doesn't change the reality of the need. And I'm going to close right now with number four, and I'm not going to go into it. I'm just going to give them to you real fast. Protection. 
We need to give our children protection. That, that's a need in their life. Protect them from ease. Protect them from ease. Don't allow them just to escape. Listen, if we're picking up chairs in this room, there shouldn't be one child that's running around having a good time. They ought to be helping with the chairs. Don't let them get used to ease. Don't let that happen. You see your child just standing around watching others work? Kick them in the rear end. Get them moving. Say, get in there and help. We don't stand and watch people work. We work. Protect them from excess. Don't let them stick, stay on that TV all night playing video games. Don't allow them to, to, to get caught up in excess. Don't let them do things that are unnecessary. It doesn't, doesn't serve a purpose. We have grown men today that can't keep away from video games, and their wives resent them for it. A bunch of big babies who call themselves men, and they just can't get off their video games, and instead they'll stay up all night playing their video games. That's ridiculous as a man. Six, eight, and ten hours at a time playing video games. You say, well, you don't understand. You're right, I don't. I don't have a clue. Last time I checked, I had a wife waiting for me. Last time I checked, I had some children that needed me. I got time to play Madden. I ain't got time to play that for hours on end. Play a couple of games, fine. But excess is a bad thing. It's a bad thing. And I don't care what area it's in. Protect them from evil. Man, the wicked and immoral influence of our culture, protect them from it. Don't allow them to be corrupted by it. Protect them from everlasting death. Boy, I'll tell you what, the greatest need in our child's life is that they have a Savior like we have. So just four areas that I noted that I think are probably the greatest needs. If not, they're very close. Affection, direction, correction, and protection. Those are four areas in a child's life that are just so, so important. May God help us as parents to have the kind of relationship with our children where we instill and we allow for these areas to be addressed and dealt with. Father, we come to you. We thank you.